Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. And today, before we get into the episode, I am so excited to announce a new partnership with the podcast. And you guys, this is something that I have literally been manifesting for months since last year. Every time I wrote down my goals of who I wanted to partnership, this company was always number one in my goal partner. So I'm so excited to introduce our newest sponsor for the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, Jane. They are a clinic management software and EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software like I did or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support, available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even on Saturdays. And I can 100% attest to this. There have been times where maybe I've had an issue with Jane. I call them up. They, They are not trying to rush you off the call. They are with you every step of the way until the issue is resolved, whether that takes five minutes or in my case, one time, literally 45 minutes. Um, You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. And if you'd like some extra advice along the way, you can tap into a lovely community of practitioners, clinic owners, and front desk staff through Jane's community Facebook page. And I also want to say, yes, I'm a physical therapist, but the Jane app software is not only for physical therapists. So if you're a healthcare practitioner, you can use Jane. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And don't forget to mention my code, Litzy1MO. That's L-I-T-Z-Y, the number one, M as in Mary, O, at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. So this is a huge step for the podcast. I am just overwhelmed, and I am so grateful to partner with this amazing company. Um, So a big thank you to Jane. And of course, to all you guys out there listening, thank you for tuning in and let's get to today's podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. And today we are going to be talking about regenerative medicine, stem cell treatments, and all of these topics that I know my patients are hearing about, I'm sure you're hearing about, and you're not quite sure what it is. So I'm very happy to welcome to the program today, Dr. Jeffrey Gross. He is the founder of Recelebrate and a pioneer in the field of regenerative medicine. He is also a fellowship trained neurosurgeon. So Dr. Gross, Jeff, thank you for coming onto the podcast. I'm really excited. I have so many questions. So thanks for your time so far. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. 
And now, like I said, you are a fellowship-trained neurosurgeon. So how did your journey in medicine lead you to regenerative medicine? Um, it was a little accidental, but also based upon some luck, you know, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. So my my undergraduate background is in biochemistry and molecular cell biology. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of left that in, in the behind me to some extent when I went into medical school and then residency and then practice and everything. So it gives me an opportunity to tap back into things that interested me enough to do to get an undergraduate degree. Right. So and and there had been a lot that had changed in those 25 years uh, of practice plus seven years of residency. So I guess it was more like 32 years, right. uh, dare I admit it. Um, and what had happened was I noticed that I was going to my annual meetings of other neurosurgeons and spine doctors and, you know, getting our, our annual education credits and networking and what have you. And I noticed over the years, nothing really had changed drastically. We're still doing the same things we were taught to do 25 years earlier by people who were taught to do it 25 years before then. And even though there might be a new gadget or widget, it's really in the big picture, the same kind of approaches. And I have a lot of patients who have neck and back trouble. And, you know, we try everything else before surgery first. Surgery is the last thing to try unless there's some kind of emergency. Mm -hmm. So therapies like you might uh, provide for people, you know, good rehabilitation, anti-inflammatories, um, time, <laughs> you know, right. other things, and then maybe pain injections of different types for various purposes. And there's a large gap between those treatments and surgery. Surgery is a bigger thing, even though we have smaller, minimally invasive procedures now. It's still a big deal. You got to have surgery. There's downtime. There are risks, infections, and cost and that kind of thing. So a lot of patients would look to fill that gap and I didn't have any tools. So maybe all the other treatments didn't work and they were offered a surgery, but they, Hey doc, what about lasers? What about, mm -hmm. you know, inversion table? What about stem cells? And you hear stem cells enough. And you finally say, you know what, this year, instead of going to the neurosurgery meeting where everyone just pats themselves on the back for doing the same old thing, I'm going to go to a stem cell conference. And I just started getting very excited by it. And I was aware that people left the country for these treatments. And as, as we were talking before we went on, you know, historically athletes and uh, rock stars and others would go to Europe or the islands or Central America or Asia to have these treatments done. You know, um, we talked about pro athletes by mm -hmm. name who've done that. And I even had a couple of patients who left the country for that. So there was enough interest for me to say, I, I think I, I know what we're doing on the neurosurgery side. Let's see what we can do on the stem cell side. And I trained and I studied and I got educated and I re read and I, I jumped in with both feet and here we are. Okay. So like you said, patients are asking you, what are stem cells? What, what is this? I get that question quite a bit from patients. Do you know anything about it? So can you demystify the science behind these stem cell treatments and where do they get the stem cells from? Because of course this can be, uh, there's a lot of 
what what would what should we say? Um, unnecessary un controversy yes. inserted where it's not necessary by those who are afraid. So yes. let's yeah. demystify, demythologize all of this. Perfect. Um, stem cells are basic cells that can divide into other types of end user cells. When we were a fertilized embryo inside of our mothers, we are made only of stem cells. And we're made of very powerful types of stem cells, omnipotent stem cells that develop into certain types of tissues that become not omnipotent anymore, but they're pluripotent. And they work their way all the way down to multipotent. Well, they can only become certain things, so they're they're limited, but they still haven't decided their final job. So those cells make us, then we're born and we retain some of those after we're done growing. And most of them are in our bone marrow, in the end plates, in the cells in our bone marrow that make our blood cells continuously. And they're stored in other body parts that we use when we need them. And some of them are on continuous use. For example, we make skin cells, we renew those. We make mm -hmm. hair and nails. Our liver regenerates. If we have a scratch or a cut or an abrasion, we we call upon those cells to help heal us. If anything like that, any healing of an acute injury or an infection, we call upon those cells. So there's sort of a special group of cells that we can call upon. But it turns out as we age and get exposed to bad food and environmental things and who knows what else we, <laughs> we accumulate, mm -hmm. you know, as, as a, you know, a, accumulate the moss as we're rolling down the hill, you know, um, our own stem cells just don't work as well. And we can't heal as fast as a young person or as, or sometimes at all. And that inability or, or disability of proper acute healing, you know, efficient healing allows us to develop into chronic diseases based on inflammation. So really mm -hmm. stem cells are the most anti-inflammatory cells in our body. So where do we get them? Well, besides our own body, our own bone marrow, our own fat, although I may like the bone marrow a little better because fat can be inflamed and some other tissues where it's harder to get. Like, I mean, you can get them from inside your cheek or the mm. pull out of hair and the follicle. Mm -hmm. if, you, if I liken that to taking your car for an oil change, you don't put the old oil back in the, in the car after you change it. So we have youthful sources besides our own source. And some clinics, you know, have great success with, with, from your own body, but there are what used to be biological trash is now biological treasure. And these are donors who have just delivered their baby by C-section. And instead of throwing away the placenta, the umbilical cord, the mm -hmm. amniotic fluid, they donate it. And it goes to a reputable lab and that lab screens it and tests it for any crazy diseases and viruses and makes sure it meets certain standards of protein content, what have you, and makes it available uh, in different forms. So we have, we have stem cells, we have stem cell vesicular messengers called exosomes and other products that we use uh, to, to do things in the realm of what we call regenerative medicine. Mm -hmm. Got it. And when, because I think that's where a lot of controversy comes up is where, where are people getting these stem cells from? So that was a really great explanation and we'll hopefully clear that up for people. Um, 
what is the difference between regenerative treatments or regenerative medicine and your conventional medical approaches? Because I, I assume you do both depending. So what is the difference? Well, uh, conventional medicine is more about uh, reacting to sickness and illness. And um, although regenerative medicine can be used for that purpose, can also be more preventative. I would say regenerative might be more natural way of healing something. For example, if you have a chronic ankle strain, mm -hmm. loose ankle and it keeps rolling. And, and I say that because I saw someone today in my office with that very problem. And um, that person had had cortisone shots repeatedly. And the cortisone helped the acute pain when that yeah. person went to see her orthopedic doctor each time. Now, that's great because of course you don't want someone suffering. But on, on the other hand, the repeated injections actually contributed to the degeneration of the joint tissues right. because right. of the way that works. So whereas cortisone would be the conventional approach, regenerative medicine might have been more not only logical, but biological. Mm -hmm. And what are the most common diagnoses that you uh, would use some type of regenerative medicine with? So I want to answer with a little proviso first, if you'll allow. Um, of course. This is just for educational informational purposes. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mean this as medical advice for any individual. And I also want to maintain my compliance with uh, the FDA, who has not yet approved any of this uh, for claims. I cannot claim that I am treating or curing anything, even though doctors can't promise anything, or they shouldn't. Ever. Um, <laughs> um, and I can, I, can, I can show individual results and, and mm -hmm. tell you my experience. And everything we do is based on science, good science, probably not American science. Most, most of the work at the forefront of this has been done for the last two plus decades in Europe, Asia, and, and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the common things we see uh, would be joint problems. These are my, I call it my low hanging fruit because they're common. Um, they cause big problems for people and they generally lead to a surgery we want to try and help avoid. Mm -hmm. And we get the best results um, in joints. And that could be any extremity joint and, or the spine. Mm -hmm. And is there an upper limit of age? Like, is there a point of, you know, any contraindications given your age or your abilities or anything like that? So not by age. Okay. Um, in fact, I think the, the older and more degenerated you are, the bigger benefit you might get. Um, there are two contraindications to this, and then one of them we're working on. So the first contraindication is blood thinners. If you are on a blood thinner and you can't temporarily come off of the blood thinner and the procedure requires an injection, right? Uh, I'm just not comfortable causing someone catastrophic bleeding to, to fix a knee, okay? The second one is um, cancer. And it's not because stem cells can necessarily cause cancer, it's because we don't really know what they may or may not do. Now, there is mm -hmm. some newer science on this uh, using exosomes and certain types of exosomes. And although I have not done that yet, it is one of our projects we are looking into uh, to see if we can help address people with 
certain cancer problems using a uh, certain power of immune cell derived exosomes. Uh, so very exciting stuff we're working on that is mm -hmm. not yet available, but keep in touch and we'll let you know. Well, yes, definitely let us know. Um, now, what about people with chronic conditions, right? So you had mentioned some joint conditions. Um, is Are we talking people with things like osteoarthritis or, um, you know, kind of moving to that end of the spectrum when it comes to joint problems? Yes. Now, I know the people listening to this podcast by audio only won't see me shaking my head yes, yes. vehemently, but uh, uh, certainly osteoarthritis, sometimes dummy down to the word arthritis by some doctors, uh, is probably the most common uh, thing we see that we can uh, hope to give help to mm -hmm. and have done so. Um, sometimes that's referred to as bone on bone or loss of don't cartilage. E don't even get us started with the bone on bone. I <laughs> That is something we hear all the time. I'm like, well, it's not really. But once someone right. hears bone on bone, and you probably hear this with your patients as well, it never goes out of their mind. It sounds like, pretty drastic. And it, it sounds it's, so it's scary. Used, it's used to say, there's nothing else I can do for you except surgical joint replacement. And that's one of the reasons I added regenerative medicine to my toolbox because bone on bone patients are my favorite patients because I would love to try and help them. And we have done so successfully in many cases with a simple injection. And if I can save you a surgery, then we'll be friends forever. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and now here's, here's a question for you. How do you, as the provider and a diagnostician, how do you decide surgery versus regenerative medicine versus injection? Well, although I'm treating so many different things besides the nervous system and the spine now, mm -hmm. I really want to limit the answer to the spine. Yeah, so exactly. when I yeah. see a person with a knee and they come in, they say, Hey, I'm just, I've been recommended knee replacement. I just want to try to avoid it. You know, I look at the images, we do some tests in the office. We check, we check to make sure that person's optimized. They're, they're probably going to be a reasonable candidate to at least try re a regenerative injection. And, and usually it's a one and done. Mm -hmm. So I know we were talking beforehand about some protocols where you have to go multiple times and have some PRP and what have you. It's, it, the way, the way we're, we've got it is, is by a protocol that we followed from France where they have 15-year follow-up. So this is not shooting from the hip in, in mm -hmm. Although we can shoot in the hip, it's not shooting from the hip. But for the spine, um, if there is no significant nerve problem, you know, radiating uh, down the extremity, which you and I know as radiculopathy, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but people know it as pinched nerve or, or, or radiating pain. Sciatica. Sciatica is, is a partial form of that for sure. If that is manageable and we're dealing with, a degenerated disc, even though some people use this horrible phrase, degenerative disc disease. Yes, we don't like that either. We don't like it. We also don't like degenerative joint disease, which is the same thing, just a different flavor. Mm -hmm. um, because you live long enough, they're all going to have some degeneration. So it's not a disease, people. Hello, <laughs> right. it's something that's going to happen. Now, some people have it 
faster than others. That could be genetic reasons. There could be other inflammatory lifestyle reasons. Maybe a construction worker is going to get it before someone who sits at a desk, um, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, if we have a degeneration of a disc, uh, we have methods to help that body, that spine that made that disc in the first place years earlier, turn back into the factory settings and help regenerate some of the cartilage proteins that make the disc. And we have before and after MRIs in many cases, and that's what we're showing um, here when we do that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, that is pretty cool. So when you're looking at someone in a surgical setting, I know you had said it would be like if it were an emergency kind of situation, right? What right. kind of, what can, what is considered an emergency situation that would necessitate a surgical procedure in the spine? Uh, bad enough nerve problems, for example, drop foot where the foot is so weak, yeah. that, you know, that would be a red flag or loss of bowel or bladder function because those mm -hmm. nerves pass through the spine. Mm -hmm. Something called myelopathy where the spinal cord is pinched in the neck or mid back. Mm -hmm. uh, there really isn't a spinal cord in the low back, uh, so that that's less of a problem. But there is the tip of the spinal cord uh, called the conus, and the conus could be compressed. That could be a problem. If you have all the nerves compressed in the lower back, in all those nerve roots, that looks like a horse's tail. You may recall the cauda mm -hmm. equina syndrome. Those could be red flags. Um, and I would say something just so debilitating that you, you it's too much pain. You just couldn't function mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Things, things like that, or there are certain infections and traumas and tumors. Uh, the trauma makes someone unstable where the spine is loose. Those would mm -hmm. be things that really need to go to the operating room. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to, the listeners to understand that there's, it's not like a magic bullet for everything, right? So there are, Correct. There are some some situations where surgery is necessary. So thank you for that. Now, sure. okay, so you're seeing someone said, you know, you're giving them an injection. What can people do? Is there a protocol after the injection? Are there lifestyle choices? Are there things that people can do to help with the longevity of this type of injection? Sure. So first and foremost is we don't want someone taking anti-inflammatories uh, before a procedure because we don't want them to accidentally have thin blood, but mm -hmm. after procedure, because it, it, the anti-inflammatories can negatively impact the anti-inflammatory effects yeah. of the biologics. So that's first and foremost. In terms of lifestyle, we like to do the lifestyle bit first. I'd rather deliver regenerative biologic tissues, stem cells, exosomes, what have you, to someone already optimized um, because they're going to get a better response. So that could be, you know, making sure you're not exposed to toxins, including lifestyle toxins like alcohol, tobacco, things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, making sure that um, you're not exposed to other pro-inflammatory environmental situations like too much electromagnetic radiation or, you know, uh, work-related exposures. Uh, we want people optimized in their diet and nutrition, exercise to the extent they can. Of course, if you have really bad knees, it's it's hard right. to do lower extremity exercises. There are, you, know, you might swim or use your uppers. Mm -hmm. um, and we want people sleeping properly and, and all that. 
We also want people to be hormonally optimized if possible uh, because cellular function and metabolism, because this all is happening at the cellular level, needs to be optimized. Right, right. Okay, so there are some things that the patient needs to take responsibility for in order to optimize this type of regenerative medicine. Yeah, for, for optimal results. And we, yeah. we help people with that. Uh, I realize a lot of people know they need to do that, but it's it's hard. They need they need a coach. So yeah, we do that. Oh, perfect. Okay. Now, this is a question that I'm sure you get asked a lot, and this is something listeners want to know. Um, is this covered by insurance? And if not, why? So insurance doesn't cover anything like this, in part because it's not yet approved for claims by the FDA. Um, that doesn't mean it's unapproved or disapproved. It's mm-hmm. just not approved. So people kind of misuse that. Insurance companies loves, love to misuse that. Having said that, platelet-rich plasma or PRP, which is also kind of a very low-level regenerative option, is also not yet approved for right. claims by the FDA, but starting to be covered by insurances. The other reason things aren't covered by insurances is because uh, the, the people with the largest vested interest, big pharma, uh, <laughs> are just now dipping their toes into regenerative medicine. So it, it'll come down the pike under their control, uh, but that doesn't mean it's unavailable. So a lot of our clients uh, use an HSA or FSA mm-hmm. account where they have control of those health dollars, uh, but the costs have come way down. Uh, and and it is available here in the country from donors here in the country. So so it's it's not so crazy. And if you think about the the cost and lost work and and downtime from a knee replacement or a spine surgery, I mean we we want people up and using their affected joints immediately because yeah. the there is there's a, an important biology of stimulating the I'm going to use a fancy word that you know mechanoreceptors, right? Um, it is part of the recovery. We want people using that part as soon as they can. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, you know, hopefully, like you said, insurance companies will kind of get on board. Um, cause it's not like it just started last year. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's like, this isn't something that's just completely out of the blue. Um, now, oftentimes what I hear along with regenerative medicine is the term biohacking. So can you explain what that is and what it means in terms of us as people? Sure. Well, I think biohacking originally was more of applying certain tech to your health, like uh, an aura ring or a whoop band or an Apple watch and and or, you know, knowing your vo2 max as mm-hmm. an athlete but now it, it could be taking um supplements or other things other meds at at uh for creative purposes or at different doses for example um there are many non-diabetic people who take metformin to help manage long-term exposure to a to an environmental toxin that we know as sugar <laughs> so, um an inflammatory toxin so um and metformin has longevity benefits for that. So usually biohacking is for optimized health and performance and longevity and healthy longevity. We like to call health span, of course. Mm -hmm. So this, this is all about not only living longer, but 
filling those longer years with healthy, useful, fun years. And what do you say to people who are like, mm, I don't know? You know, you, there's a lot of like skepticism around some of this type of uh, these types of treatments. So what do you say when someone is very skeptical about this? I, you know, I'm, I'm not here to convince anyone uh, of their beliefs. Otherwise, I'm here to educate. And if people aren't open to it, then they're not. Uh, and uh, but but there are those and and I guess I'm one of them now and I, I enjoy it. And it's fun and it's a pursuit and it's sort of reinvigorated my love for my field of medicine. And mm. and um, I, I like explaining this to patients, new patients every day and open their, opening their minds to, you know, things we can do for their health and not just their disease. Exactly. And I, you know, I always think the best way to deal with someone who's skeptical is to do exactly what you just said, just use the evidence and educate them. And then, you know, sometimes it takes more than one touch point. Sometimes it takes two, sometimes it takes a hundred, right? Um, but the more, the more you can educate and, the more the body of work starts to build up, I think it help, really helps to change people's minds. I mean, they used to use leeches, right? I right. mean, somebody had to get people out of that habit. <laughs> well, funny thing you say that because, you know, there there is some benefit to activating your stem cells by bleeding. So even though they probably at the time didn't know why it worked, right. it may have worked. <laughs> They were doing regenerative medicine in the 1600s and didn't even really know it were. yet. Yeah, they really were. And now, like I've said earlier, so I'm a physical therapist. A lot of people that listen to this might be physical therapists or other um, allied health professionals. So what advice would you give to myself and, and my colleagues um, as patients ask us about regenerative medicine and stem cell uh, injections? What's the most accurate information I can give to my patients? I think you could say, listen, regenerative medicine is is not new. It's just being reinvigorated. I mean, we have been using inside of ourselves without knowing it, regenerative medicine every time we heal um, and tapping back into that for a strategic purpose at a later stage is brilliant. Um, so Dear patient, if you've read about this, if you've seen it on the internet or you've heard about it, follow your gut. Ask your doctor about it. If your doctor says that's experimental, I don't do it. You keep asking doctors and getting second opinions until you find someone who's has that tool in the toolbox so they can at least advise you. Mm -hmm. Not because you're destined to have it, but because you want to talk to someone who can do all of it or help you weigh the pros and cons of it. That's all. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Kind of seek out a person who who knows a lot about it and who does it on a regular basis to because that's going to be the practitioner that can evaluate you appropriately and kind of make that right. that diagnosis and do, does will this work for this diagnosis? Right. Yeah, no. Perfect sense. Okay. So is there anything as we've gone through anything that we've missed or, you know, it, what are the the points that you really want people to take away from the conversation around regenerative medicine? I, I think we did uh, most of the hot, the hot points. I think you don't have to leave the country, even though that was so popular for so many years. 
it's totally. here. The reason why it's hard to find perhaps is because we're, you know, to maintain compliance with the FDA's status, we cannot advertise it. So we have to be very cautious. So, um, you know, search the internet, uh, ask, ask your friends, get a referral, listen to podcasts. Uh, it's, it's available. It's probably available near you. And if it's not, uh, a short flight to Las Vegas. I'll be happy to to see you. And actually, we do most of our initial encounters remotely to Makes get people sense. ready, get all the tests they need, uh, send in their records, and we we do all that. But um, you know, most of what we do is is here locally. It's an injection. People fly in, they fly out, and it's it's simple. Um, but it doesn't have to be here. It, this is available. I'm not I'm not the only person doing this. Um, so it, it's available. The second thing is. You know, trust your gut. If if you're seeing someone who, uh, a physician who says, "Oh no, that's that's crazy. Don't don't, you know, don't go to that per that stem cell doctor." You got to ask why that person would say that. Uh, an open-minded doctor, a real scientist, would say, "That's interesting. Tell me more. I'd like to meet that doctor. Let's let's compare with the science and the articles that's based on and what have you." You know, so if, if you have a closed-minded doctor, then uh, Closed-minded patients tend to gel with closed-minded doctors. Open-minded patients tend to gel with open-minded doctors. Right. That's, that's where that lies. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a patient here in the city who's exploring uh, stem cell and its stem cell injection for her. And she went to her doctor here and the doctor said, you know, I, as she's looking through, she's like, I'm not seeing a downside here for you in particular. So if this is right. something you want to do and the, uh, regenerative medicine doctor feels you're, like you're a good candidate for it, then yeah, you know, then trust that doctor. So it was really nice to hear kind of what you just said of like, okay, you know, she had a doctor that doesn't do regenerative medicine, but that doctor is very open and said, well, listen, and for you, I don't see a downside, but it depends on what the regenerative medicine doctor sees after he looks at all of your records. Right. So I, I think that, you know, a, a, a doctor who doesn't, hasn't yet adopted, you know, and I was, I was kind of like that at one point, uh -huh. right before I, I, sure. I took it, I listened to people like, I just don't have that, but now I do. So, I, you know, a doctor like that can say, well, listen, I think you need a knee replacement, but Go try the regenerative. If it doesn't work, come mm -hmm. back. I, I can still do the yeah. knee replacement. I would, no harm, no foul, right? So right. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the vibe that I got um, yeah. from, from my patient telling me about that. Of course, I'm getting this sort of third, uh, hearing it like a, a game of telephone a little bit. But it was, I, I just thought to myself, isn't that, isn't that refreshing to hear these physicians and then they did speak and, you know, so it was a little yeah. more collaborative with the patient at the center, which is what it, we should be doing. Yeah, we totally should be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So where can people find more about you if they have questions, if they, you know, oh. want more information from you? Well, they can listen to this podcast over and over because it's going right. to be fun and excellent, but um, they can check us out at at our fun name, Recelebrate, because we celebrate the renewal of your cells. So it's R-E-C-E-L-L-E-B-R-A-T-E. -L -L -E -E. It's recelebrate.com. 
And um, that's also our Instagram and our TikTok and our LinkedIn. And just type in Recelebrate, you'll find us. Uh -huh, perfect. And and for all the people uh, out there listening or if you're watching on YouTube, um, if you go into the show notes under this episode, we'll have a quick link to everything, to the website and all the social media. So um, that's a quick and easy way. One click will get you to all the information that you need. All right. So last question. This is one that I ask everyone on the podcast. Um, knowing where you are now in your life and career, what advice would you give to your 20-ish year old self? So maybe you're just entering medical school. Oh, wow. What would I give my advice to myself? Well, I mean, I've known a lot of the like mistakes I've made along the way, you know, uh, that, that, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do mm -hmm. that. But I, I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's fair. But what I what I would have done is I would have probably not uh, been so provincial. So when I opened, I opened my first practice. It was in a local, you know, area in California. And I put all, I sank everything into that. I should have been more, I should have had a smaller clinic with the idea of having a satellite and expanding. And this is, you know, before the internet, of course, now you can be everywhere, but um I, I I was I was too constrained and restricted to that one space, mm -hmm. and I think that was I would I should have spread my wings a little bigger, broader. Right. Well, I think that's great advice, and it's something that a lot of us, especially when you're in the medical field, you kind of you start with what you have seen. True. Right. So I think that's really great advice is to kind of think bigger than what you're currently seeing. Um, so Dr. Gross, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation, cleared up a lot of, lot of myth busting here. So cleared up a lot of, I think, misconceptions that people have around regenerative medicine. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.